good to be with you all this morning. Get situated here. I'm going to jump right in this morning and disclose our theme, our topic for this week and for next week as well. We're going to do a two-part sermon here. And the theme is leadership. Leadership in the church. Leadership as the church, as the body of Christ out in the world. And we've been in this teaching series called Church More Like Jesus. And so today, what I want to ask is what does it mean to lead as the church more like Jesus? What does that look like, first of all? And then how do we do it? How do we become people who look more like Christ as we lead others? And so we're going to look at a passage from Matthew's gospel this morning. And I want to start there first. And I think this passage offers us four postures, four different postures or practices that we can point to, that we can aim towards on this quest, on this journey to lead more like Jesus. So let's go first to the scripture. It'll be behind me on the screen. We're in Matthew 20. Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. You're always welcome, by the way, to grab a Bible on your way in. If you have your phone and prefer that way, we're in the NRSV as we are most weeks. So let me start with the scripture and then we'll, we'll explore it together. Here's how it goes. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, that is came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we have a handful of characters in this passage this morning. We have the mother of James and John. Mark's gospel gives her a name. Salome is her name. We have James and John themselves, sons of thunder, as they're often called. We have the ten other disciples present, and of course we have Jesus himself. And so I want us to take a closer look at the interactions here and see what we can see as it relates to leading more like Jesus. So we're going to take, take it from the top of the scripture and just work our way through. And let's start with Salome, the mother in the picture here. Now I have to confess with you, I think when I have come across this passage before, when I've read it, I think I've read it in a fairly lazy way. <laughs> I think in the past I have all too quickly put this woman in a box and I have called her move here as a classic power grab. She's just trying to get her sons to have this place of privilege, this special treatment. That's how I've often thought about it. But looking closer this week, 
It's funny when things stand out to you and they're actually really obvious. Looking closer this week, there was something that was very clear about Salome that I've never noticed before until just this week. Verse 20, let's look at that together. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. What do you notice about Salome's physical posture? She's kneeling. Here's how the King James renders verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. So Salome approaches Jesus, it would seem, in this posture of devotion. And the form that her actual physical person takes, her actual body takes, she's on her knees, is one that speaks to me of surrender. And that's the first posture I'd like to suggest is critical on our quest to become people who lead more like Jesus in the church and as the church out in the world. It is first and foremost recognizing Jesus as the Lord of our lives, our whole lives, the one whose name is above every other name. And I think it's learning to go before him, to go before Jesus in this posture that says, you are greater, you are in charge here. And that's what I see in Salome. Salome puts her whole self before God. She lowers herself in the presence of Christ. And so I have to ask us in our lives of leadership in the church and as the church, as the body that goes out into the world, do we do that? Do we know how to truly surrender our whole selves before the Lord each and every day and say, you are greater? You are actually in charge here. I think this is the most critical thing, and I actually think it's one of the most difficult things for leaders especially to practice, because when you are in charge of things, it's very easy to forget that there is one far greater who is actually in charge of you. And so we need practices. I would say we need embodied practices like kneeling that help us remember that even when we're in charge, even when we have authority and responsibility over things, we are still called to lower ourselves in God's authority, beneath God's authority. I was remembering something this week that I used to do um, in a former role that eventually, it took some time, but I think it eventually helped me uh, to remember that even though I was in charge of a lot, that I was called to, that we're all called to this posture of surrender each and every day, uh, for about seven years or so, I helped run an organization that was headquartered in Finley Market, if you know that part of the city. And that's where our offices were, and we had a big public space. And I was in charge of a lot. That's what the role was. I was in charge of people reported to me, and I had a team that I was accountable to, and was overseeing a lot of programs. And frankly, I had a lot of sway over the direction of this organization. And so I would come into work Monday through Friday, typically one of two ways. I would come in like very powered up and probably very caffeinated up and probably on my way to get more of that and just sort of ready to take the day and everything in it by storm. That would be one posture, just kind of I'm ready. Or the opposite would happen. I would be completely overwhelmed by the amount of responsibility and everyone seemed to need something from me and it was just too much and I would be crushed beneath it. Those were generally the two postures. It was usually the former, because I could power myself up really good. And then I learned a trick. 
I learned a trick. And I should say that this was a period of my life where my faith was really forming. You know, we have times in our life where we're just kind of moving along steadily, faithfully. And then there are times where we're in really, I think, growth seasons, big growth spurts. And I think this was one of those times for me. So I was starting to walk closer with Jesus. And I was, I think, starting to see the um, evidence of God taking up more residence in my life. But even so, I was still coming into each and every day acting as if everything was up to me. But then the trick, okay, the embodied practice. To get into our building, we had to swipe, like I had a little key fob, like swipe a key fob against a little sensor box on the wall, and that would beep, and then the door would unlock, and that's what would allow us to get into our building. And so each morning, I decided I'm going to use this little practice. I'm going to swipe, hear the beep, and have the door unlock, and I'm going to use that as a cue to, to pray, to remember that there is actually someone else in charge of everything. And my prayer was just, it was so silly and simple. It was just, God, put me to what you will, place me to whom you will, I surrender. That's what it was. And so each and every day, swipe, beep, door would unlock, and that was the prayer as I would walk up the stairs. Now, swiping a piece of plastic against a brick wall is probably the most unspiritual thing you could probably think of, but this actually changed something in my day. It changed how I went and interacted with my coworkers. It changed how I carried my responsibility and my leadership. And I think it helped me eventually remember that even in times where we have great authority and responsibility, in this case, leading an organization, that it's not ours to carry alone, that there is someone greater who carries the day. And we get to join that, as we say around here a lot. We get to partner with that, but it's not all up to us. So I think it was somehow in this surrendering and trying to take a posture of that that actually helped me have freedom, freedom in uh, in that case, in my leadership. So to lead more like Jesus is to trust that what he's given us to carry isn't ours to carry alone. It's just not. And I think embodied practices, perhaps like kneeling or the silly one that I suggested, can help us remember that even in our authority, we still sit beneath the one who has ultimate authority. And I think Salome gives us an example to follow. Though her request here is misguided, she knows how to put herself beneath and before Christ. And I think her physical posture signifies a heart posture, a heart that is devoted. So I want you to think about that. If there are practices in your life that you have found that help you in a, day, in a very daily way, go before the Lord and surrender. Do you have practices like that that help you put yourself beneath one who is greater? Let's keep searching in the passage, see what else we can see. So Salome is on bended knee. Jesus asks, what do you want? Uh, she tells Jesus what that is, and then Jesus kind of challenges her. He basically says, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. And then he turns to these two young men, James and John, and in a sort of funny way, he asks him if they can handle. Can you handle being placed in the position that your mother has requested that you be placed in? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, is what Jesus says. And look, let's look at how they respond. Verse 22, three words. They said to Jesus, we are able. The NIV is going to render the response in just two words. We can. And I think Eugene Peterson in the message, he picks up on the folly here, and he renders the response this way, which makes me giggle. 
sure, why not? <laughs> you know, can you drink the cup of suffering I'm about to do? It's like on par with, do you want to have sushi for dinner? Sure, why not? <laughs> These young men give a pretty quick yes to a pretty significant decision. Which brings us to the second posture that I want to name when it comes to learning to lead more like Jesus. It's actually what these brothers don't do that I think is important to highlight as a practice for us. It's discernment. How many of you have ever been faced with an exceedingly difficult choice? Really big, complex decision. Certainly if you're leading, if you're in charge of things, and this could be in charge of an organization, CEO, this could be in charge of a household. I mean, I, this could be a lot of different things. But if you're in charge, you're, you're, you're faced with the difficult decisions all the time. Now, not all choices require discernment. I don't need to discern what I'm going to have for lunch today. You know, I don't need to discern how I'm going to get home. My car will just go where it needs to go. But some choices do require discernment. They require us, as Jesus, Jesus is often uh, asking his disciples, to count the costs to weigh the risks intellectually and in our spirits, in our hearts, to look at the complex full picture from as many sides as we possibly can. You know, am I being called to move, to uproot my life here and move somewhere else? That's a kind of uh, choice that requires discernment. Is the career path I've chosen for myself the one that God has in mind for me? Those are things we need to discern. Am I being called off the vocational path I've been on and on to something new? And what is the something new? Those are reasons for discernment. Am I supposed to go to college? Am I supposed to marry? Am I supposed to buy a house? You know, or has culture just told me that's what I'm supposed to do? These are the types of choices that require discernment. And in our lives of leadership in the church and as the church who goes out into the world, which is the majority of us, we will have to make complex decisions that require more than just flipping a coin. And I think the choice that James and John are making here, that it might require a twinge, just a twinge, more discernment. With Jesus, I mean, they're in the presence of Jesus, and with their community, I might also say, before that yes can be a real yes. So again, I'll just ask a question. Do you know how to practice discernment? with God, with Christ, and with others in community? Do you have habits of asking for guidance, praying for wisdom, asking the Spirit for the gift of discernment in order to make choices that are most aligned with God's purpose and plan? And that word most is important. We don't perfectly discern, but we get most, as most aligned as we can with God's call on our lives. Several of you have been wise guides for me through the years, and I'm so grateful for that. And I hope I can be that uh, for, for others when it's appropriate. We, DJ and I were with a group of folks this weekend, and the, um, the, a, a practice that's a Quaker practice came up, a clearness committee. Has anyone ever heard of a clearness committee? Right, so when someone, there's just, you circle up. Someone's got to discern a choice, and the, some wise counsel, some elders, some folks in the community come together, and they just ask questions. And it's not about fixing the person's problem or making the choice for them. It's about holding space and listening to each other and to God to help the person receive wisdom and expecting that wisdom will come. So our faith, we have rich traditions of communal discernment. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. 
But I just drop that as a seed right for now. What if we were to become more of a community like that? What if we learned how to practice discernment together? What, what could happen? Back to the text. So the brothers say, yes, we can drink the cup of suffering. Yes, we are worthy of sitting next to you in your kingdom, Jesus. And let's look at how Jesus responds. Verse 23. He says to them, you will indeed drink my cup. Uh-oh, bit of foreshadowing there. You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't make that call. That's outside even my jurisdiction. Jesus embodies the third posture that I want to name when it comes to learning to lead more like him. Humility. Jesus knew who he was. And we've talked about humility a lot here. I've defined it as it's being in right relationship. It's understanding who you are in relationship to who God is. And Jesus got that. He understood who he was in relationship to God the Father. We have that lovely passage in Philippians 2. Although he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. It's a beautiful passage. So we speak about humility often here. I think it's a kind of virtue we often, we all desire. I think we want to be seen as humble people. I think we want the church to be humble, to express humility. So how? How do we become that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a silver bullet, um, but I think a starting point is maybe giving some definition to what it is we mean when we talk about humility. So in some ways, to be humble, humble is to lower yourself. See, I think that's what Jesus does. He lowers himself. That's what that lovely passage in Philippians 2 seems to be about, the kenosis. It's a self-emptying. Although he was in the form of God, he did not re regard equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of the slave, being born in human likeness. So lowering oneself, I think that's one of the ways we can understand humility. But here's, here's the definition I want to try to be clear about. Lowering oneself is different than having a low view of self. You hear the distinction in that? Lowering oneself versus having a low view of self. Those are different things. And so to practice humility is to have a right understanding of who I am in relation to who God is. God is God, I am not. But just because I'm not God doesn't mean I'm nothing. You understand the difference there? So it is to both feel our weakness and our need for God at the same time to recognize both our human limitation and the power of the Spirit working in us at the same time. I often struggle with something that I would just call false humility, <laughs> which is essentially adopting a low view of self so that I can get out of doing the hard thing in front of me, the thing that God might actually be nudging me to do. Does anybody else struggle with this? I've, I've struggled with this for a long time. I think it's classic imposter syndrome, but it's a really problematic condition in the life of a leader. It's really problematic. And what I have learned, or maybe what I'm learning, I'll say that, what I'm learning is that there are times when not picking up the authority 
that's actually been given to you through the Spirit, the thing God is nudging you to do, by not choosing to pick that up, it actually becomes a form of disobedience. There have been times in my life when it has been very clear that God is saying, step up, use your voice, lead something, and I have been like, I can't. I'm not qualified. I can't. And in those moments, those are moments for me where I have to ask myself, do I believe that all things are possible with God or not? And if I believe that, then do I really trust God is going to make a way here? You know, do I believe that God's power is made perfect in weakness or not? And if I believe that, then why am I cowering in fear in the corner? Do I believe that I can do all things in Christ or not? I think you get my point. I think leadership often is the, the place, the crucible, that puts some of our core beliefs to the test. Do I live what I say I believe or not? And so I think the first step we might take as we just ponder this posture of humility that we see in Jesus is to take stock of our relationship with that word, humility. How do we understand it? Like me, do you struggle with this kind of false humility? Quick to sell yourself short, quick to step back. Oh, no, it can't be me. I mean, I see that in the prophets. Oh, I'm too young. Oh, I'm not worthy. Can't be me. Or do you have the opposite challenge? Believing that you can do everything in your own strength. I sometimes go there too. Both sides of the coin will trip up the leader. They will make things hard for you and hard for the people that you lead. So what's stirring in you as you reflect on this posture of humility, this way that we see in Jesus? I just want to have some open-ended questions and just ask, you know, how do you relate to that word? How are we doing on time? Let's do one more. Let's look at Jesus again. I'm just going to finish along here in the text. So the disciples are watching this interaction, okay? They have presumably heard Salome's request. They've seen how James and John respond, and now they're upset. Verse 24, but when the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But here's what Jesus did, verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. So what's the posture that we see here in Jesus? If I had to give it one word, I would, I would give it the word gentleness. There's a gentleness. Jesus calls his disciples to him. This is a gather-round kind of moment. Let's sit shoulder to shoulder or stand on equal footing so we can see one another. He calls them around. And then what doesn't Jesus do in this moment? For one, he doesn't publicly chastise, chastise James or John or Salome for their, for their folly. He doesn't seem to allow the others to dig into their brothers and sisters in the faith either. The disciples are upset, they're angry, I get that. But we don't see a war break out here. In fact, if you keep reading in Matthew, you're, you're going to see that what follows quite soon after this little kerfuffle is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, thus beginning this march towards the cross. And who do we know is still with him? James and John. And Mark's gospel is going to put Salome at the foot of the cross, ministering to Jesus as he hangs. And so these three, even in their faux pas or their misguided request, 
they are restored into community. They are restored into belonging and into the family of faith despite that misstep. And I think Jesus is the one that ensures this happens because of how he leads in this situation. He says to those disciples, hey, we don't berate our kin in the way the rulers of the earthbound empires do. That's not how we do it in my kingdom. We don't treat each other with harshness like the tyrants of the other nations. I think Jesus, what he's doing there is teaching his disciples how to respond in their anger in a way that doesn't cause more harm or more division or weaken his movement. And it seems to have worked. The gentle way of Jesus wins again. And I think leading like Jesus in this way with gentleness in a world right now, oh my gosh, that is just so quick to divide and so quick to get angry and so quick to cancel. You say the wrong thing, you're canceled. It's done. I think to lead this way requires us to practice and pray for. Pray for the gift of gentleness, a special grace, I think, fruit of the Spirit, so that we can be like Jesus, especially when circumstances around us tempt us to act harshly. So four postures, those are four that I see in this passage. Now, are there more character qualities of Jesus that we could talk about? Yes, absolutely. Do certain leadership roles require certain skill sets and certain strengths? Totally, I don't want to discount any of that. But these four postures, these strike me as critical, foundational for leading like Jesus in the church and as the church, as the body of Christ who goes out into the world, which as I said, is where most of us spend our time. And I think these are the postures we ought to be looking for in one another and helping develop in one another. So as we head towards close here, I, I wanna intentionally leave this somewhat open-ended. Um, there's so much more we could discuss with all of this. We could go deep on each of those. We don't have the time for that today. But I do wanna invite you into just some self-reflection. Just invite you to ponder this this week and I will do the same with you. Which is just to consider how these four postures show up in your life. Do you have practices that help you go before the Lord daily? Put yourself before and beneath in this posture of openness and surrender to his will and to his ways. And if so, what are those practices? Or might you have any imagination for what might help you do that? Is there something in your life right now that feels like a major decision? that's like really weighing on you, like, oh, I have to discern this thing. Does anybody else know about it? What would happen if they did? Might you invite others to hold that with you? How do you relate to that word humility? I kind of expose my dirty laundry that I struggle with false humility often. How does that sit with you? Are you like me? Are you quick to sort of say, oh, no, I just can't? Or are you much more like, yeah, I got this, let's go. Do it in your own strength. How do you relate to that word? And with the people that you spend the most time with, including the people that you might have some leadership over, would they, uh, would they call you gentle? Just a moment, a week, some time here just to get kind of real with yourself. Just, just take stock. Just take time with that. And then come back next week. And we're going to build on this, and we're going to have some conversation about how we lead together as the body of Christ. So before this morning, before we move to the table, I just, I want to, I want to say one final thing that I hope encourages you. My intent is to encourage you. 
And it's this, that we don't learn to lead like Jesus in our own strength. That would totally be missing the point. We don't learn to do this in our own strength. We can absolutely pray for special graces. Lord, make me more humble. Lord, help me be more gentle. Give me imagination for how I might surrender. We can pray for those things. I believe God answers prayer. So pray for those things. You can do that. And I also believe that Christ-like formation and the kind of formation that we're talking about here is quite dependent on the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. There's a lot happening under the surface that we can't see. It's God's work in us. And if you are in Christ, and thus Christ is in you, then you are already on your way to learning how to lead and be more like Jesus. We are already becoming church more like Jesus. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? So please, 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 please don't leave here today thinking I've just given you four more ways you need to be better. Just, you know, Barb, if you could just be a little bit more gentle by next week, that would be great, you know. <laughs> just take it down a notch, you know, a little bit humbler, Tim, just a little by next week. That would be great. The good news of all this, again, is that if you are in Christ, and thus Christ is in you, the work of the Spirit is already doing its work. And I think the more we just learn to put ourselves before the cross, make space for God to fill us, the more we start to see evidence of this residence in our lives and in our heart. And so I just want you to be assured of that, just to trust that. Now, just like a plastic key fob on a brick wall is not a particularly spiritual thing. Um, I don't know about you, I don't find a bread in a plastic cup of juice to be all that spiritual either, frankly. But just like that move on the door became for me an outward sign of a, a heart that wanted to be more devoted, I think that's what, what this is as well. I think when we take these elements, we are saying to ourselves and to the people around us, that we desire to be more like Christ, that we are ingesting Christ into our person so that we could go be him in the world. It's part of what we remember when we gather around the table. So that's what I want to invite us towards here in just a moment, is to just to, to accept that invitation to take in Christ, to remember and proclaim what God has done by bringing Jesus into the world, and then let's take that out this week and see what happens. And as we do every week, we say a confession, and this is that moment where we say we are not yet fully formed, we are not yet who Jesus calls us to be, and still we are covered, and still sin is forgiven, and still light wins over darkness, and so we can have freedom in the midst of still being in process. Oh my gosh, that's good news. It's <laughs> good news for me. All right, so we're going to move in that direction. And so if you are willing, I want you to take the posture that you find helpful for coming before the Lord. You could stand with me if you'd like. You can stay seated. You could kneel if you want. Let's take a posture that helps us put ourselves before the Lord in a space of confession. And we'll say this confession aloud together.